When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Genesis chapter 9, verse 14 and 15. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I think these days it's increasingly hard to fully appreciate the glory of a rainbow. Now, this, I think, is particularly an occupational hazard for parents, where every last thing you buy has rainbows on it, whether from sippy cups, clothes, backpacks, whatever it is. There's just, in, especially if you're in your girls, infinite rainbows. Um, and and a, a representation of a rainbow fundamentally fails to capture any of the rainbow because the whole idea is it's a, the color of light, which you can't capture in, in ink. And, and canvas, let alone all the sort of cultural baggage with like the LGBT flag and just all this stuff. The rainbow as a thing, I think we've um, failed uh, to fully appreciate. Like now when we see rainbow, we're like, oh, rainbow. Now every now and again, um, does anyone remember that internet phenomenon of double rainbow? <laughs> you know, every now and again we get a glimpse of how we should rightly respond to rainbows. Um, and I actually think the double rainbow video, which is wonderful, it moves me to tears every time, <laughs> even though the guy is completely crazy. Um, is because it, it, it recognizes this is amazing. It really is amazing. The, the Jewish rabbis, in fact, have a tradition in the uh, Talmud that you actually shouldn't look at rainbows because they're too glorious. Like you might get just kind of overly overwhelmed and befuddled if you look at a rainbow. Um, I don't think that guy in the video had read the rabbis, but same, same spirit. So I want to explore the rainbow in Genesis 9 to give a fresh appreciation, not just for rainbows, but for why God gave them to us and what they point to. So to begin with, this, the most straightforward understanding of Genesis chapter 9, the, the, at the level of the letter, I, I believe we're to understand that this is the first time any human had ever seen a rainbow. That it wasn't like God was just like, okay, that thing you're just used to, and now all of a sudden I'm going to say that's a sign for you. It seems this is the very first rainbow. And you ask the question, well, how could that be the first rainbow? Rainbows are just caused by light coming in through raindrops, right, at, at 42 degrees. I had to look that up. When it, when it hits at 42 degrees, that's when you get the right combination of internal reflection and refraction, and you see a rainbow. How could it be that no one was, none was ever seen before? Um, prior to this covenant with Noah, the scripture narrates that there had never been sunlight shining through rain, right? In, in Genesis chapter 2, it narrates, it says, this is from Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. The Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, but a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. And part of the folly of the ark, why people ridiculed Noah so hard, is they had no paradigm for an overwhelming rain. Right? If there was a paradigm for some kind of flooding, you would, could see the reasonableness of a boat. But if there's no paradigm for flooding, a boat on land would make absolutely no sense. So just to be clear, um, paleoclimatologists would not agree that there wasn't rain. Um, so I want to acknowledge that as a fact. But the scripture narrates quite plainly that this was the first rainbow that was seen. And that the flood was the first time, it says in Genesis 7, it was on the day when the flood began that the windows of the heavens were opened. Seems to be that that was the first rainfall was the flood. The scripture also mentions the fountains of the deep, which I imagine must have been somewhat tsunami-like to cover the earth in the depths that Genesis recounts. So prior to the flood, there was no rain. And then during the flood, I think the sun was probably not, it wasn't one of those light showers, right, where you can kind of see the sun. It was blacked out. So only after the waters had subsided, um, once the rain had ceased, 
Only then is there the possibility of sun and rain at the same time. And after Noah gets off the ark, and it really struck me afresh reading the scripture this, for this week. Noah has spent all these years building this ark, right? And these animals come on, and he gets off the ark, and he, I mean, imagine caring for all that livestock in a giant boat. <laughs> and the first thing he does is he sacrifices, it says, one of each of the clean animals to God. I was just struck by the faith of that, that just like Abraham being willing to sacrifice Isaac, even though that was the promised son, the one who, through whom his descendants would come, no, you know, he did it on faith. Noah, who'd been given charge of all animals, just like Adam originally was given charge over the animals, cared for them, taking care of them in this boat for all these days, gets off the boat and kills a bunch of them as an offering to God, as a sacrificial offering. That's tremendous faith to kill the very thing that he'd been preserving all, those, all that long time. So his faith strikes me. And as he demonstrates his faith, the Lord establishes his covenant with him. And he, uh, the moment he establishes the covenant, he gives a symbol of the covenant. And he says, this bow in the sky is the symbol of the covenant I'm making, that I won't destroy all flesh with a flood again. Now, just imagine this. To see the rainbow, there had to be rain. So I just imagine for Noah, this was this crazy PTSD moment, right? I mean, imagine what Noah, who'd never seen rain, the first rain he saw it killed tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of mankind, and devastated the entire earth, and then here come droplets again, right? I mean, that would be like, ah, rain. And God says, no, 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 I never again will I destroy all flesh with the rain. And he gives the bow, the rainbow, the first rainbow I think ever seen. And the meaning of the covenant was twofold. There's sort of two points of emphasis. He will never again destroy um, all flesh with a flood. And the emphasis there is all flesh. Certainly there are regional floods, right, that do still wreak havoc, but they don't wipe out all of mankind. And then the other underscore is never again will he destroy the earth with a flood. Um, And St. Peter, in his second letter, uh, actually relates to us that on the great day of the Lord when Jesus comes back, everything will be tested through fire. No longer water, but fire. So this is 2 Peter 3, 7. The heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment. So never again shall a flood destroy the earth. There's a great um, Afro-spiritual that has the line, um, God gave Noah the rainbow sign, no more water, the fire next time. That sense of that Noah is a warning to us, but it's going to come by a different means at the end of time. I think had it not been for the covenant with Noah, we'd still have sort of an inherited kind of traumatized memory of rain when it came, right? But it seems like God is setting apart, when we look at the history of salvation, God in layers sets apart water as as one of the sort of foundational elements for his purposes, right? We get the spirit hovering over water, kind of named as part of early creation. God, as it were, tames the waters from the heavens that they'll never destroy all of the earth again. And then... We see, this is tied to Jesus being baptized, setting apart water for consecration, which then, of course, opens up fully into the waters of baptism. God setting apart a material element for a spiritual benefit for us. Uh, if you look at icons of the baptism of Christ, oh, we actually have one back there. Um, you always see um, Leviathans being speared in the water. <laughs> like, really makes the scene epic, right? And the idea there is that the sort of primordial chaos of disordered creation gets hammered into rule and made useful in God's hands. Leviathan is killed, and the water is now pure for baptism. Next time you see an icon of the baptism, feel free to glance at it on your way out.
So that's the plain meaning of Genesis 9. And whenever we read the Old Testament, um, if we stop at just the plain meaning, I think we're leaving half the food on the, ta- on the plate still. Because what we see throughout the later revelation of Scripture, the New Testament, is that all of the Old Testament is operating at two levels. It's recounting the history of God's saving deeds, as, as Peter ratifies, right? In the days of Noah, God saved eight people. Well, that's what we heard from, from First Peter. So there's the literal history, but then there's also, Jesus says, all of the Old Testament points to him. And Paul would say all of the Old Testament was written for our instruction. And so there's, um, in the Old Testament, always a spiritual meaning accompanying, not opposed to, not sort of fancifully, it's connected to the literal meaning, but there's always a spiritual meaning that I also want to um, unpack a little bit this morning. So what's the spiritual meaning of the bow? What about the bow? And when I say spiritual, I don't mean just... Like, ooh, it's spiritual. <laughs> I mean, it points to Christ somehow. How does it prophetically signal Christ? I think the chief prophecy seems to be in how the bow functions. To sort of paraphrase, God says in Genesis 9, when I see the bow, I will remember my covenant and I'll hold back my wrath. Uh, you can see the immediate connection, right? And just to be clear, when God says see and remember, that's him using words that we can understand for how an infinite mind outside of time works, right? He doesn't forget and then remember. It's just instancing that he has it before his face uh, to, as a token of his, a signal of his mercy. He doesn't, so um, the rainbow stands uh, as a memorial to the eternal pact that God will be merciful. So I think, first of all, when we see a rainbow, we should be remember God's mercy in a general sense. But even more than that, I think we should be grateful for the, how the covenant of mercy expanded, right? We see these layers of covenants through the scripture that, okay, I'm not going to destroy everybody again. Abraham, fast forward a few hundred years. Okay, I'm going to pick a chosen people who I'm going to operate through and reveal myself fully through. Okay, fast forward again. I'm going to give you my law to show you what right li- what, how his own character. Fast forward again. I'm going to give you a king to show you, King David, what um, godly leadership of, of God looks like. And then fast forward again, I'm going to show you the one true king, Jesus the Messiah. Each one of these covenants sort of widened the portal of mercy. Right? Each one gave us more of God to know and to participate in. So we don't just rely on the Noahic covenant, we rely on the greater covenant. Right? The new covenant that's been compacted for us um, in Jesus Christ through his blood. Just like how God sees the rainbow and remembers the, the pact of mercy, God sees Jesus and remembers his pact for mercy, but an even more expansive mercy, not just to not be destroyed, but to be saved from death, to, to live eternally, to be saved from the fire of hell. Christ on the cross, Christ on his throne in heaven right now is the remembrance of his own sacrifice for us. Partial mercy to Noah, points us to unending mercy in Jesus. Now at this point you might be thinking, that's eh, a little bit of a stretch. Like you can see some kind of functional overlap, but is this just sort of fanciful homiletics, a little bit of fancy footwork? Um, I want to suggest just to uh, underwrite this interpretation. There's only two other books that even mention rainbows in the Bible, which is kind of surprising when you think it's so foundational in this Genesis story. Where's, you know, you'd think there might be some story of, oh, and then I saw the rainbow and I remembered, right? But there's not that. Only two other books, um, Ezekiel and Revelation. Once in Ezekiel, twice in Revelation. The two most, frankly, hard to understand and mysterious books in the Bible. 
Uh, let me just read to you where the rainbows are instanced in this book. So Ezekiel, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, um, reads like this. So Ezekiel, it's the famous like wheels within wheels passage, right? He's like seen all these a- angelic hosts and he's kind of been ascending in the vision up the ranks of heaven. And he gets to the very summit of the vision and this is what he sees. Above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. I think about how baffling this would be for Ezekiel, right? We've been given the one thing that Jews had different than every other people was don't make idols. They didn't make human pictures of God, right? God was unseeable, unseen, and so you didn't make any images. Jesus, at the very summit of heaven, he sees one with the appearance of a human. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Right, so this vision of a one like a man on the very summit of heaven, and around him is a rainbow. Right, that is, it's confidently a, a vision of the glorified Jesus that Ezekiel is seeing, and the thing that is around him is a rainbow, a symbol of covenanted mercy. It was just Ezekiel, you know, maybe, who knows, but then ratified by, I shouldn't say just Ezekiel, it's the holy word of God, but Ezekiel's hard to interpret. But then we get the same vision again given to John in Revelation chapter 4. So this is Revelation 4, beginning verse 2. This is John's, um, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Same vision, right? And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. I actually worked in a jewelry store this summer, but I couldn't remember what color Jasper and Cornelian are. They're both dark red. One is like a translucent red, and one's a kind of opaque, kind of more like um, a semi-precious, kind of like a matte red. Just like how Ezekiel was trying to describe it, like enclosed fire and fire, right? It's like, wow, like this sort of clear red and this matte red. It's the same vision that John is being given of Jesus glorified in heaven. Ezekiel, of course, before Jesus came, John after Jesus came. So here's this man glowing like fire on a throne, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. So there again, a rainbow um, connected to the person of the glorified Jesus and the covenant of mercy. So I think that um, uh, confirms the connection that Christ functions like a rainbow, a sign, a, a remembrancer to God to show mercy to us. I also think it's telling that when we see um, a rainbow, we only see like a portion of the arc of it, right? Um, and even sort of pagans in their intuition, apparently in Norse mythology, they sort of thought that, and I think popularized now by Marvel, that, that, that that's the bifrost. It's this connection between our world and the next. Like that, surely that circle has to be a full circle. And in Revelation and in Ezekiel, we see a full circle of rainbow around his throne. And there's this idea that um, there's something suggestive about a rainbow into the sort of world that we cannot see. And we're given a glimpse of that in Ezekiel Revelation. If you could see the full circle of a rainbow, that first service, Mike, who's a pilot, said, oh, when you fly at about 20,000 feet, you can sometimes see the full circle of a rainbow. I didn't know that. Um, speaking spiritually, you could see Christ seated in the middle of it. There's something suggestive, but that it's only this partial 
circle. Accepting the um, interpretation of a rainbow symbolizing prophesying Christ, I think the, the layers of symbolism start to really uh, unfold that God calls it a bow, like bow and arrow, right? Which is a weapon, always has been. Um, and it's a bow that's strung, like a bow that isn't pulled taut, it's just like a f straight line, right? It's a bow pulled tight. Well, if that's a bow and a weapon, who is it going to pierce as a weapon? Where is it pointed? Up to heaven, right? Who's going to be pierced by the bow? Christ, God, the Son of God himself was pierced for us. There's this, again, this is sort of textured layers of meaning that we might, you know, we just say bow. Well, God could have picked any sign. He could have picked the square, the circle. Why did he say bow? Why does it point upwards and not downwards? I think there's God, nothing uh, with God is accidental. Similarly, if you look at the very physics of a, a rainbow, diffused droplets of water at the, with the sun at the right angle makes invisible light visible. Right? Isn't, is that not an incredible symbol of Jesus? Right? It says in the Bible, no one's ever seen God. But then Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Just like light. No, you can't see light. Right? You can sometimes see it passing through texture, like you know, moisture. But, but light actually becomes visible. All of a sudden, when the spectrum is expanded and you can see the discrete colors, you can see light. For the, that's the only time we see light in a bona fide way in, in a rainbow. Just like Jesus shows us the invisible Father. So... Pretty perfectly, the rainbow embody, um, points to Christ, I think. So I want to offer a thought that I'm um, kind of riffing on the rabbis for our 21st century. Um, I'm going to try and look away from artificial rainbows. It just cheapens the whole thing. Like when I see them on all my kids' sippy cups, I'm going to try and look away and try and remember like, what the real rainbow's like and thank God for his mercy. Not just to Noah and the fact we still are blessed by that covenant, but for the mercy that he's shown us um, in Jesus, the greater mercy, the true rainbow. And just like with Noah, God made this covenant, this agreement, and then gave a sign to, to remember it by. In our covenant in Jesus, he's given us a sign to remember it by. And that every time I lift up you know, the church in, in the ritual actions that have been handed down to us, I didn't come up with any of these, we're just passing them down from ancient centuries. When I lift up the bread and the wine in the middle of the service, the gesture is one of, Lord, remember the sacrifice of your son. That's what we pray in the, in the text of the liturgy. But of course, God didn't forget the sacrifice, but we're saying right now, in real time, for our particular lives, remember the mercy of your son. We need your mercy. Just like Noah needed God's mercy, and it was signed by the rainbow. And just as the Lord... Um, chooses to, uh, to use Lent to focus our attention more acutely on our sins, which is not a pleasant process, right? My hope and prayer is that through um, this Lent, as much as your focus is at, at more attuned to sin, it would even more greatly focus on his mercy. That, that the knowledge of his mercy would outstrip the knowledge of our sin and especially as we participate in the sign of the covenant. Every time Noah would have seen a rainbow, he who saw the actual deluge, he would have been like, thank you, Lord, for not doing that again. That was unimaginable terror. Every time that we get to participate in the sacramental representation of the blood shed for us, 
We're saying, thank you, Lord, for your mercy, that I'm not doomed to death, that I'm not going to die and then be sent to hell, that you've given me eternal life. You've given me your own life. Amen.